Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Poddiva. Welcome to the Relationship Room at Poddiva. I'm Ali Hendry and my pronouns are she, her. The Relationship Room is a safe place to land ideas that help us humans navigate interpersonal relationships. We approach each topic with curiosity, compassion, and a garnish of humour. Welcome to today's guest. Would you like to introduce yourself, your name, your pronouns, and what you do? Hello, my name is Lucy Fielding. My pronouns are she, they. Um, Please mix them with reckless abandon. Si tu parles français, mes pronoms personnels sont elle et yael. I am a sex therapist uh, based in Virginia and Washington State in the United States. I'm also a sex educator and the author of Transsex Clinical Approaches to Transsexualities and Erotic Embodiment. I want to get into your book, which absolutely changed my practices as a certified relationship coach Uh, so it is fantastic for all practitioners working in the lgbtqia plus community and beyond and our allies and i really want to delve into that but first off how did you get into being a sex therapist and a sexuality educator do you want the long story or the short one (laughs) oh i'm on the juicy one Oh, the juicy one. The juicy one starts, God, I was like 18 years old. Some friends took me to a dungeon in New Orleans. It just blew my mind. I'd never even imagined that such worlds existed. I think I spent the next 20 years, I spent the next 20 years trying to understand what I'd seen. I started out as an academic. I was, I have a PhD in French with a specialization in uh, erotic literature. And I think I was just trying to like uh, sublimate that, understand that. But like what would happen at parties is that people would ask me, oh, so what do you do? I mean, these are shitty grad student parties. I'd say, well, you know, I, I 
work on erotic literature and like invariably and my nesting partner can attest to this invariably people would start asking and telling me things intimate things about their sexual and relational lives and this kept happening and i would keep you know like joking to my nesting partner the title of freud's book uh, jokes and their relation to the unconscious better be careful what you joke about because here we are it started off as a joke like oh god somebody should pay me to, if i'm going to be listening to to this stuff you know after a while like graduated from my PhD program. I was in academic administration. My nesting partner was about to go on sabbatical. You know, we were at another shitty party, academics. Again, this happened. We were driving back in the car and I said, you know, I keep saying that I should be a sex and relationship therapist. And I really think I should do that. And she said, yeah, and I think you'd be great at it. A month later, I had applied. A few months later, I was starting my counseling program. It's been a wild ride ever since. It's the, the best thing I've ever done for myself. I love sitting with folks and helping folks discharge, discharge shame in their bodies and find pleasure and joy in their bodies. I mean, the universe keeps giving me these messages. I may as well go with it. Let's see what it's about. I, yeah. I love that. And also how your brain works. And I know this from having read your book and the work that you do, the causes that you support, events that you attend and you share your knowledge and experience, the authenticity in, in which you approach your work, how you do that work around the academic side and also the somatic side and the psychological side and the therapeutic side is, is just a beautiful, beautiful meld in all that you do, it absolutely comes through to me. And I like how you also delineate definitions. You, you help us to think about things in a different way. One of the things that stood out in your work was talking about the differences between labels and identity. How, how would you define those two and how do they show up in the work you do and also your, your journey? Labels, as many have pointed out, and I'm, I'm thinking in particular of a book called uh, Decolonizing Trans 101 by B. Binohan. They talk about how labels are a double-edged sword. Often they come to us, they're ways of like slotting us or ourselves into various groups and communities. And on the one hand, they're wonderful insofar as they help us find a sense of belonging. You know, sometimes these are stories that we relate to. We find like, oh yeah, that that label, that, that works for me. A word like dyke really works for me in that way. Queer works for me in that way. Femme works for me in that way. What I love about each of those is that they, they, they evade, they're mercurial, they're fickle, they, they include so many um, possibilities and possible worlds. But the other side of labels is that, yes, they can, they can allow us to organize. And that's indeed what the first label for uh, sexual identity was, which emerged in 1867. That's how old 
that's actually how young, in fact, you know, this idea of sexual identity and sexual orientation really is. And the label was earnings. And it was meant to, you know, identify and to organize. We are a class of people. We are here and we are queer. In the 19th century parlance, this is natural between scare quotes. But the double-edged sword of this, the, the edge that really cuts, is that they tend to erase individual identification. They tend to homogenize, really mimic colonialist colonial practices, particularly settler colonial practices. So they tend to suppress local knowledges in favor of, no, this is who we are. You know, this is what this means. Capitalism, neoliberalism, heteronormativity, uh, white supremacy are all about this question of who is enough and what is enough and what is too much and what is too little. When we're talking about labels and defining and categorizing, we're often unconsciously implanting this idea that there is such a thing as not enough, not trans enough, not queer enough, not not gay enough, not woman enough. It's total bullshit. But like, here we are. Yeah, absolutely. I, I really got that from, from your book as well, the way that you ask us to look at things in another way, you know, how we can, using the word queering, how we can queer so many of our conversations, how we as practitioners can be queering our questions, you know, looking at where those questions are coming from and how we make sure we are centering ourselves and aware of any kinds of uh, power or privilege that we might have over our clients or any perceptions that they might have of us around who we are. You know, you talk about how some of your clients, you kind of get this sense that they're seeing you as the mother figure. You've been there, you've done it. And actually that's an unhealthy dynamic because it is adding in that power. Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit about that because it's so interesting and I love that you weave in intersectionality, indigenous populations, QT populations within your work in a way that not that many practitioners do. What would you say people need to be doing to make sure that they are being truly inclusive? I mean, I, I spent 20 years as an inclusion trainer. So when I popped out as a, as a coach, I was kind of expecting, and also I worked for a very, a trained with a very inclusive organization. So I was I had this expectation that everyone was on the ball because we're dealing with wellness, we're dealing with mental health and well-being. And I was unpleasantly surprised. You have this drive to bring this into your practice around marginalized communities. How can others learn from you? Well, the, the first thing, and just to kind of go back to that previous question, you know, about labels and about ideas and about identity. I always think of, there's a um, short story by Anam Sufi called uh, Undone. I love this story. And at the end of, of it, there's this line that I just like, mm, I'm a slut for images. And my God, it's just like, mm, yeah, it's delicious. She writes, Hold me like you would a photograph from the edges and lightly. Just imagine how that's flowing through you, moving through you. 
that there's such a lesson there, uh, such a queer lesson there, holding things provisionally, holding things lightly, not seeking to impose, seeking to offer hospitality. There's a interpersonal neurobiologist, Dan Siegel, the saying is, name it to tame it. There are certain contexts under which we need to name things, to, you know, discharge them, to demystify them. Here I'll weave back in that second question that I, I think is so lovely. Not many things, not many people, not many ideas, not many images like to be or deserve to be tamed domesticated, caged. And that's what we're talking about when we say name it to tame it. And instead, I want to resist the naming. I want to instead, a lot of times, let an image, let a feeling, let a sensation, just be, be with that image and sensation. And to bring it back to that lovely second question, how do I do it? I mean, the first is, is that I don't pretend to do it well <laughs> or do it well all the time. Um, I'm always thinking about the ways that I am fucking up in one way or another various times. And the question is, how am I engaging in accountability? How am I engaging in repair? I'm not an expert. I know a lot of things. I've seen a lot of shit. A lot of things have happened to me and I've lived a really rich life. I'm also a settler many times over. And so I recognize that. I'm also historian. I'm always looking at how do we trace these stories that are always swirling around our bodies? How often we are operationalized. We become drones of a transphobic, queerphobic, misogynistic, white supremacist, colonialist culture that seeks to have us be the tools of our own erasure without us even knowing about it. I mean, that's the insidious thing about some of these stories that come at us. Stories about gender, stories about what it what is it to be feminine what is it to be masculine what is it to be androgynous what is it to be a woman you know a friend of mine asks her mostly cis female audience what is your relationship to womanhood if you cannot bring it back to physiology physiological processes anatomy biology if you can't root it in that how do you know what what is your relationship there and I think that there's something really important there because I, I think every time we are appealing to science, every time we are putting things in an epistemological or ontological mode, metaphysics, you know, we are putting something, we are putting identity, we are putting ourselves, our, human, our very humanity up for debate. And my humanity is not up for debate. My gender, my embodiment is not up for debate. There are no two sides to this. 
really, really hear that. And that comes out so powerfully in the book in terms of the work you talk about and the experts that you bring in to share their work as well, where so many times us humans reduce other humans to what they can see, what they can feel, what they can hear, when actually, and you talk about this as well, there is that sensate piece that says there are senses, there are other parts, there is societal um, expectations. What is informing this current behavior or this action? Because it's not just what's in front of you, it's how it sits, how self sits within this wider context. And you and the experts in your book encourage us to answer questions around why are you oversimplifying people basically why are you reducing this situation and why are you doing what you've always done when there are a gazillion other ways of doing life transsex clinical approaches to transsexualities and erotic embodiments where did that come from this is i mean this is an absolutely brilliant book we will put it in the show notes it's for all people I just think it's for all people. I think everybody should read it. You will find something in there. There is so much wealth of information and sharing and honesty and practical exercises. It's changed. As I said, it's changed some of the things I've done. My client intake form has changed because of some advice that's in your book um, around identity and safety. It's absolutely changed. As I said, this is no no, um, exaggeration what I do. So where was the main impetus for the book for you? Anger, rage, mm-hmm. privilege as well. Pod Diva. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Pot Diva. The privilege of being a patient and a client who is experiencing that while at the same time training to be a therapist and a sexuality professional. And so having having that research base, having that knowledge, seeing where those stories are insufficient, hearing the things that I'm being told by my providers, knowing mm, that's not quite right, that's not very nuanced in its approach. I remember this experience you know, very early on in my training, I went to uh, WPATH training, the World Professional Association for uh, Transgender Health. And I think it was like a foundations course. This was years and years ago. An endocrinologist was talking about the effects of hormone therapy. And they were talking about like libido and trans feminine folks who take estrogen, your libido goes uh, into the basement. You know, if you are on tea, you know, your libido, you become basically a gothic sex beast. I don't know. Let's let's stay with that image for a minute. Gothic sex beast, right? Okay. Yep. Moving. (laughs) You know, like I'm already thinking of like Bram Stoker's Dracula and like the the werewolf scene. 
<laughs> I, I went up to him afterwards and I, I said, you know, like, what about the responsive desire research? And what about, you know, spontaneous responsive desire context, how desire arousal is, is so key to context. Liking is so key to context. And he said to me, and this floors me every single time I think about it. He said, one, the research base isn't there. And of course, I'm like, why the fuck do you think that the research base isn't there? Who are the gatekeepers? Who's in charge of this? Who wants to prove yeah. things? Who has not read Come As You Are by Emily Nagotsky? <laughs> well, exactly, right? And then the second thing he said, and this is this gets me every time, he said, you know, that's just too nuanced for my patients. What? And, right? Right? I mean, that's basically him announcing to me, and of course he was a cis dude, and he's announcing to me, I'm basically committing malpractice with respect to informed consent. That's what that is. Informed consent is not about ticking boxes, signing a form. That's that's acknowledging receipt. That's acknowledging that you've read something. That is not informed consent. Informed consent is robust. It is ongoing. It's mutually revocable. It's constantly renewed every single time. Every experience we have with someone, informed consent is renewed. It's an opportunity to have that conversation. And so there's never, this is a core value for me, there is nothing too nuanced for my clients. That's one of those places where transsex was born. In that place of, I'm nuanced. I'm a bull in a china shop sometimes. I am sharp-edged. I singe. You know, let's see how many metaphors I can bring in. Um, <laughs> it's such a powerful it. story. It's so powerful. And it makes so much sense that that was the driver. And, and you also got on board other experts. You know, you are a leader. You People want to contribute to the work that you're doing because you have this vision and you're so clear on what you want to get across. I know you follow the work of Adrienne Marie Brown and the fearful imaginations that we talked about earlier and also how we come into that place of, I love the work around why am I asking this when you're in, in the clinical space? Is it coming from that deep sense of entitlement? Is this serving the client's needs or my own? You have supervisors, we have supervisors in coaching as well, where you can ask those questions. And I've absolutely, at the beginning of my career, can remember talking to a client who was going through a devastating heartbreak and she was the me in the story. And I was asking her questions and it wasn't until halfway through the session that I realized I was asking her questions that I wanted to know the answer to, not questions that she needed to know the answer to. And so to have these reminders reflected back as I was reading through your book. You know, what purpose is this question for? Am I coming into my body awareness with this question? Throughout, you weave in the suggestion that we should be looking at sensations, images, thoughts, and feelings with all that we do. And I love that as a framework to us as professionals and also as a client or in any kind of situation. What's coming up for me in my body? What are the images? What's the sensations? 
where where are my thoughts going where are my feelings going it's a great framework what stories are moving through me mm. and expressed in assumptions i had a client a few years back who was looking for a, a letter for bottom surgery vaginoplasty in particular we were talking and and she said i want to have sex like a woman and i remember sitting in that chair and i was like I have no idea what any of the words in that sentence mean. And moreover, I don't know what some of the combinations of words mean. And yet, like, I have a feeling that a lot of folks, quite in spite of themselves and their, their desires or their politics, they may indeed have images that pop into their minds or stories about what it is to have sex as a woman. What is sex? For me, sex is an energy. It's not, you know, a set of activities. My dear friend, Princess Callie, talks in her work about the kernel kink. It's the why. It's the, it's the goal feeling. She describes it as that. The goal feeling of a particular activity. And it's more important than the activity. And what makes something sex? You're bringing a sexual intention and energy to it. Yeah. yeah, you you talk about decoupling sex and pleasure from genital function and sexual performance and the way that we are so narrowly focused. We are always surrounded by these stories and press-ganged into an idea of what things should look like. And as soon as we relieve ourselves from that pressure of should and we move into want, then we create something magic. I'll even go further. What happens in our bodies, in a provider-client relationship? What happens to the process um, when we shift from the mere avoidance of pain or distress or resolution of a problem into pleasure and joy and wanting, desire? What happens there? Not how do I avoid a problem or how do I resolve it? But like, how do I go a step further and hopefully a few steps further? How do I find pleasure and joy and desire in my body um, and in my relationships and claim my right to pleasure and to desire, not desire and pleasure with a particular person at a particular time and in a particular way, but in an experience, you are entitled to pleasure, you know, which is such a, a radical notion for a lot of folks and a very scary notion for a lot of folks. I love that idea that it's about, it's not about moving away from something, moving away from that fear. It's actually moving towards that pleasure piece and that desire piece. And that mindset shift is paramount, it's huge. I mean, think about like, for example, painful sex, genitopelvic pain. I don't wash my hands of a client if they're like, okay, well, I'm no longer having painful sex. That's great, that's necessary. We should never endure something and experience. I want more for somebody than just like, I don't experience pain. I, I want, I experience pleasure. Like, what am I excited about? What thrills me? 
there's so many things that disappoints me about turf discourse or as they like to call them gender critical discourse but one of them is it's all centered on the avoidance of pain the avoidance of distress which is necessary you know so many of the of us especially those of us who were assigned female at birth those of us who who are women and femmes we've experienced more likely than not gender-based violence but i want so much more for us i hope so much more for us whether we're cis or trans i want pleasure and joy and prosperity and fulfillment and and just to be able to live our lives and move in the world and you're doing it you are doing it with the work that you are doing you are challenging those binaries those set ways of doing things because we've always done them it started from that very first conversation with that presenter at the conference where you were saying hang on this is not okay you need to be looking at these things as well ever since then you've you've still been asking those questions and putting those thoughts in our minds what are you currently working on at the moment and where can people reach you I'm doing a lot of teaching. Teaching is, as the character of Spock in Star Trek would say, uh, teaching is my first best destiny. And so I, I love that. I love doing that. I'm doing a lot of workshops on muffing, which is so, it's so fucking cool teaching. We're not going to go into that now. You have to buy trans sex. You have to buy trans sex. Um, <laughs> or you fucking will find trans out. women by uh, Mirabelle Weather. Absolutely. Both of those. Thank you. Yeah. Working with a lot of therapists and, and educators and I'm ready to write again. There will of course be a revised edition of Transsex. It was only two years ago that the book was published. I'm always seeking to iterate. How can I make this stronger? How can I make this better? How, how many other voices can I bring into this conversation that will make this better, allow more people to be seen? And heard. I love that phrase. I'm looking to iterate. I love that. Yeah. And um, I don't know, I might be working on um, a book that I hope will be a, more of a trade book and more really explicitly for all bodies, really thinking about what are some of the strategies? I mean, I, I think that that's one of the things about transex is that as you pointed out, it's about strategies. It's about ways members of marginalized communities, and I can think of so many, you know, communities where this is, you know, operative. We've had to extrapolate from, you know, dominant experiencing. So therefore, we, we come up with different strategies, not to bring muffing back again, but I adore it. Uh, like trans feminine folks are centered in those trainings, trans women bodies, but I love it when cishet men come to those trainings. I love that. My favorite is like when a cishet couple comes to them and you can just see like, oh God, I didn't know my body could do that, which is an experience that like a lot of trans folks have, that's part of what we call the second puberty, the second adolescence. It's that period of, holy shit, I didn't know my body could do that, which is intensely pleasurable. 
holy crap, I have two front holes that I didn't even know were there that were like factory installed. Mind blowing. <laughs> I was going to mention that actually, because I do, I love an analogy and you use them beautifully in the book in terms of going through puberty, uh, adolescence, and seeing that not as fearful, um, but accepting that there's going to be mistakes, uh, that we can laugh at them, that we can have some joy around that, and that those mistakes create space for finding something else, like you say, that joy at going, oh, I didn't know I could do that. Wow, look what I can do. It's amazing. There's something so joyful about being able to just like swan dive into the awkward. Yes, I love yes. doing that. Like people sometimes when, when they match with me on, on dating apps will say, oh my God, you're a, a sexuality professional. You must be a sexual rock star. And I said, well, not quite perhaps in the way that you mean that. However, there's two things that make somebody, to my mind, a sexual rock star. One is you're adaptable. Like you are adapting to the person you're with. You're not just saying like, oh, I know what this is. I know what that part is. And I know what I'm supposed to do with it. Supposed to, um, what I'm told to do with it. The second thing is you swan dive into the awkward. Sex and play are awkward by their very nature. They're messy. They're loud. They're... You know, there's all sorts of weird sounds and effusions, smells. That's all glorious. It's all glorious. I sometimes describe myself as a sex clown. If you're not laughing, I just want to like joyfully approach my body, my partner's bodies. Let's laugh. I've just realized I'm a sexual rock star like you. <laughs> I know, it's right? True. It's awkward. If there isn't laugh, laughter within a sexual situation, there's something wrong, I think. I, I think that joy and that play is a vulnerable, vulnerable place, absolutely. And so allowing that play, allowing that vulnerability, allowing that laughter, as you say, all the noises, sounds, smells, sights, etc. It's messy. If we can embrace that together or however many people are involved. Fantastic. Oh. Now, are you ready for some quick fire questions? Yes, please. Let's do it. Okay, there's only three. Uh, number one, best way to enhance a relationship? Make room for failure, for conflict. Communicate, communicate, communicate. Make room for fun, as much room for fun as possible. I think it's so easy to get like into the like, um, we do errands together. And you know, that's all important. Find those things that you do together that or that you do separately, but that you tell each other about that you love so many things that I do that my nesting partner hates, but she loves that I do them because she doesn't have to then. <laughs> Yes, absolutely brilliant. And you're growing your own curiosity independently, which you bring into the relationship by doing those things that you love and bring you joy outside of the relationship. Okay, what is the secret to great sex? That sex is an energy, awkwardness and adaptability. Approach your body, each and every body you experience as 
an opportunity to approach with a beginner's mind, to approach with ethical curiosity and excitement. I know for me, like I've had so many experiences, uh, erotic experiences in my life where it feels like, you know, like, yeah, I have great tits. Uh, they're, they're incredible. That's not all that I am. Certain other parts, well, I'll tolerate that. I accept that. If I want to be a good giving game lover, GGG, I hate that that expression. I should probably, you know, tend to that. And it's like, no, I want us to be having experiences where every part of us is being greeted joyously, is being greeted with excitement and relish. Oh, and relish. And I love that phrase, ethical curiosity, which you talk about in the book around that curiosity without trying to get rid of any biases, attitudes, behaviors, influences that actually don't serve curiosity. Curiosity should be freedom and unbiased. So I love that phrase. And then finally, what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. (laughs) I always do that. You're the first one who sung it. Yes. I know. Hurt me, but consensually. Um, (laughs) um, Agreed. Yeah. What is love? Um, Gosh, love is again an energy. Love is an intention. Love is relational. Love is not just about romance. It's about the love we have for community, the love we have for our friends. I love my friends. I love my communities. Um, The love we might have for lineage. You know, like I wake up every day. There's a poster on on my wall. It's a poem about being a femme. I just like look up and my mantra every morning is, thank God I'm a femme. My partners will attest to this, but every time I have sex at some point, they may hear me whispering under my breath, God, I love being a dyke. You know? so... <laughs> and, and part of it is like, I love the lineage that that places me in as a queer femme, as a leather dyke. Like who that puts me in conversation with. Uh, I tell my clients all the time, you are someone's legacy. And one day someone will be your legacy. It's not about being famous, but it's about knowing that you are part of larger stories. The story never ends. Never ending story. You are someone's legacy. <gasps> yeah, That's beautiful. Lucy, where can people reach you? What's the best way for them to reach you? Instagram, I'm most active probably at Sex Beyond Binaries. You can also find me on my website and you can find me in my book. And in my books, I, I, I certainly talk a fair amount about my sexual relational life. As with everything, it's a character that, that I create. You know, please, please get in touch. Please share what resonates. Please don't be a dick. Please don't be entitled. Approach with ethical curiosity. Yes. And without entitlement. Lucy Fielding, it's been an absolute dream to talk to you today. Thank you so much for coming into the relationship room here at Pod Diva. 
It's been such a pleasure. I always love being in conversation with you. Thank you for having me. Pod Diva. Thank you for listening to Pod Diva in association with Diva Magazine, the world's leading brand for LGBTQIA plus women and non-binary people. Every week, we bring you new interviews from a vast range of fabulous people, celebrating and amplifying the voices of the LGBTQIA plus community. Browse our extensive back catalogue of episodes to find your favourites, from Jennifer Beals to Abby Jacobson. It's like one gorgeous, glossy magazine in your ear. Please share, rate or review us. It really does help. You can find us on Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can email me at editorial at diva-magazine.com. Pod Diva. Queers for your ears. Pod Diva.